Gaming NBS, episode 75, Talk of the Gumshoe System, sponsored by Great Out Dice Bags. Head over to Great Out Productions and use promo code GAMINGNBS to receive 10% off your order. That's GAMINGNBS.com forward slash Great Out. Right, welcome to Gaming and BS. We are a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome, folks. Glad to have you all here. Sean, how are you doing this fine, fine evening? I'm doing spectacular, Brett. Awesome. Yeah. Looks like you've been able to work some magic here with a possible live thingy. How's that how's that going? I don't know if this is gonna work or not. <laughs> we'll see what happens. This could be a total disaster like many of our other live ventures. Well, at least the the key though is that we're the audio recording itself that goes out to folks who uh, download us, which is the you know the bulk of our listeners, will get a decent audio quality. So that's what matters. Yes, that is what matters. <laughs> I don't know how this is gonna go. I mean, our whole audio could be. Ah, it'll be fine. I, I feel confident. Fine. I feel confident. Good. Do we have any announcements? We do not have any announcements other than um, I know Game Hole's got a couple of different things, but they are bringing Monty Cook to Game Hole. I know we mentioned that like during Game Hole in November on a bonus. Yes, BS. <clears throat> we talked about it then, and we also I think basically I think their the guest list is published now on uh, on a couple of their social media avenues. The thing with the guys at Game Hole though is that whatever. Last year, when like, hey, this is who's coming. A couple months later, hey, we got some more people. Uh, I think, as Alex has pointed out, their um, their appreciation for their own spend is minimal when it comes to dragging in uh, cool people within the hobby. So, whatever's on the list right now, I expect it to grow. I think they have the games library. I don't know if it's the Gen Con games library or the Milwaukee group i thought was that i that think I it might be the milwaukee groups games games library but yeah. again they're going to have games there so you can show up grab board games do stuff and uh and just freaking game yeah that's the point man that's right so let's get into random encounter do it random encounter element of the show segment of the show where we field emails voicemails and comments from social media uh you you want to start there, Brett? Sure thing. We have an email from Angela Murray on episode 74, Investigation in RPGs. Hey, guys. I meant to comment on last episode, but the week got away from me. I do have a couple of comments on this episode, though. For the most part, I agreed with your thoughts on investigation in games. Ultimately, ultimately, if you want the game to primarily be about mystery and investigation, you should probably choose a system that is uh, designed to facilitate that play. At the same time, that shouldn't prevent you from throwing the occasional murder mystery or the like into whatever game you're running. Heck, one of my fondest gaming memories is from an Ebron 3.5 D&D campaign where uh, one game involved having to prove half the party's innocence after being accused of murdering a clerk in the Grand Library. Of course, that was just a fantastic campaign that has become legend for the group. My other comment was on the history of Green Run Inn. They've come out with the first edition of Mutants and Masterminds in 2002. Um, Mutants and Masterminds is definitely closer to the original D20 and remains pretty crunchy even in their current third edition. True 20 came later in 20 in 2005 and spilled directly out of the original, <clears throat> excuse me, Blue Rose project where they tried to come up with a simplified version of D20 to use. In some ways, I think you can see the evolution of True 20 in the current age system. They're very different, but if you look closely, some of the same concepts are there. I never did get around to running anything in True 20, but the first campaign slash game I ever ran was Mutants and Masterminds. Oh, last thought. If Sean wants to run a game online and it's at a time I can make it, count me in. 11 a.m. is a bit early for, for this uh, night shift owl, but something a little later in the afternoon might be doable. Keep up the good podcasting. Love tuning in each week. Ange or Angela. Angela. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you, Angela. She just had a birthday, too. He, Did she? He, Happy birthday. He he ha ha. He he. This is this being recorded on Valentine's Day 2016. That's true. 
Um, thanks for Excellent writing in, you. Angela. Yes. And so thank you for correcting us. The reason she brought that up was because we mentioned, or I mentioned the Blue Rose Kickstarter on last episode. <clears throat> That's right. And I was a little fudgy with my facts about the, the, um, well, the true 20, the history, how the evolution went from mutants and masterminds and all that stuff. Yes, the evolution you, is the word I yeah, was looking Yeah, you didn't quite have it all. And I honestly, I know so little about true 20. It was one of those things that happened in the periphery of where I was gaming in my portion of the hobby. I just didn't even notice it as other than I saw it as the flash in a pan. I'm sure there's tons of people who are way bigger fans of it than other things. But cool, good stuff. Anthony Van Dusauer, the Sawyer. From Facebook on class versus classless. I think classless systems in a way are part of the evolution of role-playing games that allow players to have more play and narrative control over the game. I find that class-based play creates the pigeonhole effect where every character has their static role. So in effect, you become an expert at staying in your class box and doing your class job. I find that as a player, I don't really like that for the most part. I won't say it's never fun, but it feels limited, which is why I think the point system evolved. Let me rephrase that, which is why I think the point system evolved so that players could create their own roles, make their own choices, play their characters the way they want to. Happy hunting, Anthony. So Anthony doesn't like to be labeled a class hole. So I get that. Yes. And hey. I, ew. <laughs> oh, ew. So I think there is something cool about that. I think uh, Sean and I touched on that a little bit with our discussion there. Classes can have, there's some really cool components of it, as we said. When you do talk classless, when some people want to branch out and have that quote-unquote infinite tweakability, you know, where you want to be able to modify and hack things up a little bit different, have a character that doesn't fit in the box, um, or their specific hole, you can uh, break them out and do different things. So good stuff. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. All right, shall we get into the main topic O discussion? I think we should. We're talking gumshoe. Absolutely. It's a, so, it's a gum that sticks to the bottom of my shoe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So just in case anybody doesn't recall, the uh, the term gumshoe flatfoot was an investigator some or a police officer investigating on the street because you would get gum on the bottom of your shoe as you wandered around. Oh. Yeah, it's all about investigation. So last time we talked about investigations in RPGs in general, and of course we alluded to this episode, talked a little bit about gumshoe. I played a, a number of different um, gumshoe sessions, and I've talked to a number of other people who are who play it quite often. I have a number of different gumshoe games and so forth. Sean has not played it, but I know you've got Knights Black Agents kind of talking about in the spirit of, you know, a, a mechanic bit driven system, if you will, that really helps facilitate or um, hmm, stress um, reward appropriately and all those good things. Investigative games. I thought, Hey, let's just uh, crack the gumshoe book open and see what we can see. Yes. And I will wholeheartedly admit that I have never played a gumshoe game, although I am the owner of Trail of Cthulhu and Knight's Black Agents, which both, so gumshoe, I'll, I'll touch on some of the stuff that I do know, Brett. Sure. How about this? How about you expound to me? Tell me what it is you do know, and I'll try my best to fill in the gaps. That's sweet. That's awesome tactic, Brett. So gumshoe I'd make him go first and look stupid. I could totally sweep and look like a hero. This is well, awesome. Why would that be <laughs> out of the usual? I'm kidding. So it was uh, a system created by Robin D. Laws, some guy in Canada. Um, it is published by Pelgren Press. I don't know if it has a third party licensing piece. I think it does because there are some supplements that are out there. Um, you can find information about Gumshoe at Pelgrane Press, and we'll talk a little bit about that. In Die Roll, I think the first game that was created out of Gumshoe was Trail of Cthulhu, if I'm not mistaken, Brett. 
No, I believe I Esoteris? believe Eso- Esoteris or and or Fear itself oh, first. Okay. <clears throat> Which Esoteris is, is kind of a slightly different take on the um, Delta Green type of scenario. Yes. And um, Fear itself is more of a the horror movie genre where it's normal people dealing with supernatural horrendous things. Gotcha. However. Mm-hmm. So there's a few of the games that surround the gumshoe system. So the gumshoe, not a game, a system. It's a system, right? Correct. So, it's so get- we'll probably, we're going to touch on different components most likely because I own a number of different systems or game settings, excuse me, as Sean, as Sean does as well. So we'd probably poke in on those components. But the key piece to gumshoe is it's <clears throat> gumshoe itself exists to solve the problem of you didn't get the clue, therefore the game grinds to a halt. Right. You, get, you didn't get the clue because of a bad die roll, and therefore the keeper, if it's a Cthulhu game or your game master for any other game or DM or whatever, has to either say, well, I'm sorry, um, everything goes pear-shaped, great Cthulhu rises, everyone dies, too bad, or finds another way to put the clue out there and gives you another chance, a different angle, a different avenue. The way this system works is getting the clues is not the problem. If you've got, um, you're going to end up with tons and tons of clues. What the problem is, if you will, comes down to, excuse me, figuring out what the hell it is you're going to do with those clues. Yes. So if you, if you think, uh, police procedural, um, TV show, any of those, even, um, even Sherlock Holmesian in a way is that, all this clue, all these clues, all this data just gets handed to you um, through use of your skills and or, or your abilities and so forth. And at the end of it, you're like, okay, what the hell do I do with all this stuff? It's piecing things together. What's a red herring? What's not? Is this information valid? Does it help me in what I'm trying to do? And so on. Sean, does that anything else you want to throw kind of there first that I missed or no? No, I think that would have been some of the things <clears throat> I would have wanted to cover. So no. So the main thing that you do here, so hmm, how do I do this? <sighs> Investigative abilities are how you learn stuff, right? What makes a gumshoe game unique is that if you walk into a room, if you have one or more points in any of the skill needed, you're an expert in that, right? So if you have a skill in uh, languages or in biomechanics or interpersonal skills or a technical knowledge or whatever it is you you're an expert at that you're basically badass in terms of uh i believe that's how ken height refers to it in the uh, nice black agent stuff when <clears throat> you use the appropriate ability and the game master says oh you're using the appropriate ability you automatically get the clue done no role required you just get it so if i have a library use skill for like a call of cthulhu and i'm playing trail of cthulhu style and i go into the library and I say, well, you know, I have a lot of library use skills, so, you know, my, my abilities. I start rifling through the card catalogs, knowing how things function. You can be as boring as to say, I have f- four points in library use, or I have four points in this, in, um, in postmortem, what, I mean, whatever the ability is. I have all these points, and I want to spend one point to get a clue, or I want to do something along those lines. <clears throat> you just get the clues. So there are always the, so I'm kind of going here a little bit crazy, but there's the peripheral clue and sometimes you can dig deeper. So if you have a research skill and Sean and I tell Sean, you know, Hey, we're in here and I'm researching. Okay, great, Brett. That's good. Your research skill is appropriate for the area because you're in a morgue. Therefore you get X clue. If I say, you know what, I'm going to spend some more time. I want to dig a little bit deeper. I'm willing to spend a point of my research pool my pool of points there and dump one of the four. Is there anything more I can learn? You can spend extra points to get cool in-game advantages. So that may, I may find out that, Hey, the guy, Sean may say the guy who filed the the reports um, that you uh, dig through in the morgue. um, Yes. it, It verifies everything, but you did find out his name was, you know, Anthony Smith. And from the looks of it, Anthony has, uh, been out sick for the past four days and somebody else is covering for him. Is that necessarily uh, pertinent to the, uh, to the plot line or not? But that's kind of the general gist of how you get data within the game. Now the clues that are surrendered do not have to be true. 
Yeah, I mean, a clue's right. a clue, right? I mean, red herrings are red herrings. You could find something that's incredibly interesting about a book. Um, <clears throat> say you find something really interesting about this book, where it came from, who made it, or that it's a forgery. But if that information may have absolutely nothing to do with the plot. Correct. That's what I'm trying to say. Yep. So then you've got all this stuff, and you're like, okay, um, the crew, we've all pulled together all these different clues. We're trying to figure out what it is to do with it. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, you start trying to piece it all together, um, much like they do in a police procedural. You watch any uh, Bones or anything on TV. They have all these clues. They have all this data. Put this together. Well, I think maybe this is what happened. Maybe that's what happened. It leads you down a path. So that's the general thrust of it. So a quick break to, to go back to abilities for a second. There's two types of abilities in Gumshoe. There's general and investigative. The investigative ones, you have X number of points to make your character with. You get a certain number of investigative ability points and general ability points. Uh, depending on how many players regularly attend your game, there's a little chart that says, oh, four players regularly make it to the game. Therefore, each player has X number of points to spend. Investigative abilities, you normally don't go too high. Every game system will tell you what's considered, I should say, setting within Gumshoe. Usually it tells you, hey, four is really high or three is pretty good. <clears throat> but basically, as long as you have one point in it, you're a badass. You're really, really good at this investigative skill. The general abilities, these general ones are the ones that you actually roll dice with. Gumshoe uses one single six-sider. That's it. You only need a six-sided die. You normally, if you need to make a die roll, there's a target number. Four is your average target. And <clears throat> if you're going to do something like driving, you need to make a driving test. Um, the game master says, okay, you need to make a driving test. Slippery roads. You're trying to um, do something crazy while you're driving. You roll your six. And if you get above the target number, it works. It, underneath it, it fails. Target or above, uh, it works. You uh, can spend points, though, to increase that. Sorry, Sean. What is the target number typically on a, on a gumshoe? It's normally four. Yeah. Okay. Four is where you're at. <clears throat> and if you really want to make sure it works, if Sean's like, look, it's really slick outside. Brett said it's you know sleeting, crazy rain. I've got three points in drive. So I'm going to spend one of those points to get a plus one on my die roll because I want to put a little extra oomph on it. Right. So you can do that. But you typically <clears throat> won't know what the di what the target number is you have an idea right it might be a four base but if it's slippery isn't the the trail of cthulhu talks about if you want to be a little more kind of gritty mysterious don't tell the players what the target number is when i run trail of cthulhu i, I never divulge the target number i just tell them okay do you want to try it yeah are you going to spend any points to try to make it work or they describe what they want to do I say, okay, it sounds like you want to put a little extra effort into it. You're giving some points up. Yeah, I really, I'm going to dump three points off a drive because this is, you know, it's crazy. Or I want to put two extra points into, into my firearms because I really want to make sure I hit this guy. They roll it and they tell me what the result is and I tell them what happened. Yeah, I think Ken Height ran Knight's Black Agents for the folks at One Shot RPG podcast. And I don't think he ever divulged the target number. It was, okay, what are you trying to do? player would say, I'm going to do this. And he'd say, okay. And they would opt to spend points to boost their role, but he would never say what it is. And he, they'd just go off of, well, it's something really important. I want to make sure I accomplish. And it sounds yes. to me like this may be relatively difficult. So I'm going to put three points into it. They roll their die, you know, a six, you know, if you roll a six on a die and you invest three points, it's a pretty high roll in gumshoe, yes, right? The, the interesting component, too, with it is that you all your, your points are refreshed, basically, as your experience points, if you will. Um, the refreshing of your pools only happen when it's narratively appropriate. At the end of a session, you might not get anything back. So if you're playing a Trail of Cthulhu or a Knight's Black Agents, and you could, you could go <clears throat> two, three sessions, and you haven't accomplished a milestone, if you will, you might not have get your points back. My player said, well, when do I get points back? I said, well, when you reach a certain point, I'll tell you. They're like, oh, shit. What does that mean? I said, well, this is a pretty short game. You might not get any points back until the end of this chapter. And if you guys like the game, then we continue on to the next to the next phase of it. Yeah, but otherwise, until this first mystery is solved in my Trail of Cthulhu game, you're not getting points back until the end. They went, oh, shit, we've been blowing freaking investigation points like crazy, digging up all this because it was really cool, right? I have a skill in 
in forensic pathology or something along those lines. I came in, they got something. I have a skill in in library use or any of those types of things. And they got the regular basic one. And they found when they spend those extra points, they get some really cool background data. So you keep dumping, dumping, dumping. Wow, this is cool. This is cool. We're getting more stuff, getting more stuff. And then, Sean, as you pointed out, not all of them are uh, um, appropriate to the (laughs) – or applied to the mystery at hand. And then when they're like, oh, shit, I don't get points back. That's right. Crap. Um, All right. How many sessions we got left? Well, probably two or three left. Ah, shit, I'm almost out of this. <laughs> and then people start getting a little more, uh, a little more miserly. So it's a, um, it's a resource management um, type of game when it comes to that. Yeah, the economy seems very interesting as the game progresses because especially in Trail of Cthulhu, being on the kind of the hunt of the big mystery, you know, if you're an HP Lovecraft fan, you're going to know what I'm talking about. So as you're pool diminishes and i would say uh and brett you can correct me if i'm wrong you have a pool you spend it it's going to drive you forward in the story even if some of that stuff is really not relevant right it's maybe a red herring maybe you chase it a little bit but it is going to drive you to a particular point typically absolutely because one of the things that that stymies an investigative type of campaign is that you don't have data right Right now, the flip side, of course, if you have too damn much data or people want to continue to dig too far in a thing, like I think I could spend more points and find out really where this igneous rock came from. I mean, when that has nothing to do with anything. So one of the pieces that they've talked about is telling the players they've actually they make um, cards you can print out that say scene. You can hold them up if you need to or a different people have used audio clues or something else or even a verbal clue, as I have with my group and saying you guys have. The scene, basically, what have I said? I wanted to see if I could remember this earlier today. I couldn't. But basically, as expert as you are in bureaucracy and architecture, you've gone through everything here, and you've pretty much gleaned everything you believe is possible out of here. And remember, you guys are professionals. You're a professional archaeologist. You're professional at criminology. You've got everything you can get. Really? Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next piece. And doing that or even using something as artificial as a card that says scene or something along those lines that helps to be the signal to the team. Like, hey, guys, you can move on from here. You have gained everything you need to get. Just keep pushing. Okay, let's go. What clues do we have? Digest them and see where where it takes you from there. But what I was going to say is as you spend the points in Trail of Cthulhu and you get to the end of whatever peak or climax that is, your resources are are pretty diminished, which plays a oh, role yeah. in the tension of the game. At that yes. point, right? That's a that's a good that's a good point, yeah. right? Is that if you're playing a game, and part of the investigation is at the end of it, you have to banish an elder god or stop it from showing up, or if you've got to fight a vampire or some outer dark entity, you know, so terrorists, or you've got to have a big superhero type throwdown in. Uh, Mutant City Blues, and you've blown out all of your flattery, all of your your streetwise, your tradecraft is gone. Oh, and you, in the process, you you spent all of your piloting skills, even though now there's a plane. You know, it things get things can get pretty tough if you spend too too much too fast, right? If right. you blow blow your wad, so to speak, then it's gone. Now, one of the things that the system will tell you though is that look, if you're going to play, say there's four of us playing, and Sean's a game master. And he sees me making a guy, Phil and Kevin and, and Chris and Lenny, we're all making characters. He's like, okay, everybody is playing Knights Black Agents. And it looks like you guys are all, you know, the black bag guy. There's one dude who's the wheel man, but everybody else is the same character. Guys, let's spread out. Let's spread out the interpersonal abilities. Let's spread out the academic stuff. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a niche protection thing in a way, but you don't want to have everyone on the crew as a mechanic. Right. There's there's really no point to that or everyone has the same level of high society skill or everyone knows interrogation at four points. That's kind of crazy because all it takes is to have one point to be a badass in it. Spend the other ones on like, you know, history or military science or occult sciences or something and spread it out a little bit. That's one of the things that I found working with my my crew was that a couple of guys. The first time they played, they doubled up on some things. I didn't quite catch it. And we look back and said, that's something that, yep, 
as the book says, don't, you know, that, that's not necessarily a good idea. Spread it out a little bit. Not everybody needs to have, you know, cop talk at three points. Why, why do you have to have that? You know, get a couple people with it at one or one guy who's really good at it. And that's your go-to person. Now they have classes in gumshoe, right? Yep. You've got different types of backgrounds, you know, you can, um, or concepts, um, when you look at some of the characters, like I said, in um, Knights Black Agents, if you want to do something along the lines of, hey, you know, I, I want to be, because you know, you're kind of Jason Bourne versus vampires in that type of setting. But you've got backgrounds. There's analysts, asset handlers, bagman, bag and burner, black bagger, cleaner, cobbler, hacker, cuckoo, investigator, medic, mule, muscle, tons of different things. And again, similar background lists in uh, Trail of Cthulhu and others like that. So it gives you somewhere to start. Now, a bit, of, a bit of focus. Now, it's I know it's Trail of Cthulhu, Knights Black Agents. They also talk about the type of game you want to play with that setting, with the system, right? Then in, in Trail, it's Correct. in Trail, it's um, gritty, or tr- what is it? True to is it true? Yeah, or? there is a, um, I know in Knights Black, there is, because of it being a, a spy type of genre, there's a couple different ways. Um, I've been reading more on Knights Black as of late, purist, but there's modes, they call them. Yes, purist they, or pulp. Purist and pulp in Trail of Cthulhu. Yes. Knights Black has dust, mirror, and um, stakes is another is another variation that they have, which are basically different modes, or burn is another one. Yep. <clears throat> so if you... Take a look at them and you say dust out of Night's Black Agents. It's a default setting. It's a cinematic thriller. Recreate the gritty, lo-fi espionage world um, and that type of thing. So if you were to say burn, some spy stories are like the Bourne trilogy. The burn or alias or and that type of thing is more those espionage type novels. And if you're in Trail of Cthulhu and you're playing a pulp, it's more Indiana Jones, a pulpy feel, versus a purist version which is very to Lovecraft where um, <laughs> shit's really bleak and you don't, I mean, it combat's more deadly and it takes it kind of that darker, more austere, bleak per, uh, perspective on the world. Right. And in Night's Black Agents, you can actually mix and mix and match where I think trail is kind of one or the other really kind of. It gets tough if you're going to play a purist Cthulhu game to mix in pulpy stuff. You can have kind of a, a quasi pulp feel. But if you, it's really easy to get caught up going to pulp right. if you're not careful. So it, it does, if you're going to play it, play that game, in my experiences, you say I'm playing purist or pulp and kind of trying to fold the two together doesn't work as well, at least for me. Right. So Brett, you've run, you've run trail. Yes, I have. Now how, how some people like me may say, oh, it sounds really cool. I get the whole rule thing, right? Robin writes in the book that the whole point that he did trail was because he was, he really liked call of Cthulhu, but that's it, Ken, Ken, you mean Ken? Hyde wrote oh, I'm sorry, one. Ken. Yes, you're yep. right. So Ken wrote, um, it's funny. He wrote both books, but he wrote how in call of Cthulhu it'd come to a grinding halt if you didn't get clues. Correct. So we covered kind of how the clue thing works. You automatically get it. You spend points, you can get more details, Somebody may say, how much work do you need to go to get into getting clues together, right? So if you're going to do an adventure, you've run, you've run trail, how much effort does it take to kind of do all the clue work, come up with clues? Do you do- Oh, from the Game Master side of the house. Yeah, from the Game Master side of the house. And then do you actually make them, I mean, physical, tangible, tactile- um, you can, I mean, with anything else, when you play a clue type game, at least in my experience, when you're doing this investigative thing, this is one of the places where your props can come, a clue prop can come in really handy because it's a thing. Oh, you found it. You spent the point. Here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> you can plan them out pretty well with major clues. I tend to run pretty off the cuff. I've talked about this before. I'm very improv the way I run. But if I have a story arc, a spine of how this is supposed to, of how the, how I want the adventure to lay out. Like, you know, it's, you're starting out here um, in this part of London. You guys are book hounds. You're the skeevy little underground bookseller types. And there's going to be a, somebody has, there's a, there's a book that's important. And I come up with the key pieces of it. that will drive you to this really cool conclusion. You can 
pretty easily um, dump clues along the way as people are um, coming up with different ways to use their skills, right? <clears throat> so I've, I have found, for me anyway, that I don't have to sit down and plot out every clue saying, oh my God, if they come to this section and they're going through the dead, um, the dead dilettante's place and, you know, lady whomever is dead, they're going to tear through this before the, the cops get there. What happens if they spend one point of forensics? What happens if they spend one point of linguistics? I, I don't worry about that. I make more note of what's in the room. What could you find from a clue perspective? If the players give me, I want them to give me creative descriptions, right? We've talked about this before. I want the player to say something like, you know, I'm a linguist. I'm going to tear through the library. I know I'm not a big library guy, but I want to see, are there any themes for types of uh, books in here? Does she have a big section in Spanish or does she have a Latin collection? Um, okay, then you may find a book that's out of place because of that. You find a book that's written in Spanish, stuffed in, you know, in between all these books in Latin. Well, that seems weird. Could be a clue. Boom, it is. Um, somebody has um, cop talk. Um, what, what does that mean? Well, that means when the cops do show up in the meantime, you're able to kind of bullshit them a little bit, work your time. Hey, the cop actually, he could dump some more info on you. Well, I got a call, you know, to come down here um, because there were, there were sounds of screaming and gunfights and uh, gunshots. Well, you guys haven't found any gun mark. You haven't found any bullets. There's no gun laying around. Um, that's a clue. Um, so short version is I don't find that you have to worry so much about what the individual clues per the investigative skills are. You have to worry about what data can be found in a scene and the players, they're going to figure out different creative ways to use all those investigative skills to find that stuff. And that's where the cool reward comes in. If I'm really, as a player, if I do something really cool and use my, my investigative skill in a funky way or a really unique way to drag some data out of this scene, you, Sean, then get to immediately reward me and vicariously the whole group with more data and a better clue. Awesome. I think it is. Now, <clears throat> the other piece, so the investigative piece of it is very, play very player focused, right? You're doing stuff, you're <clears throat> using your investigative abilities and you're using your investigative pool points where necessary to get even cooler shit. General abilities, again, the dice are in your hands. You want to drive fast, you want to um, climb a wall, you want to shoot a gun, <clears throat> anything like that, um, that's all on you. You roll the six-sider, you spend the pool points, I just give you difficulties. The only time that I, as the Game Master, am really rolling dice against you is when I'm attacking you. So when my monster or my bad guys are shooting at you or something along those lines, that's when I'm rolling. Otherwise, if you're... <clears throat> If you're trying to run me down and chase me across something, you're rolling the dice. If you want to find the bad guy or whatever it is you're trying to do, you're rolling the dice. It's more uh, player-focused die rolling than on than on the Game Master side. When I ran Trail of Cthulhu, the only time I rolled dice, uh, ate the die, was when they encountered a couple bad critters. A couple monsters showed up and uh, started laying waste. But apart from that, all of the dice were rolled by the players. Good. I like it. Yeah. What about so Sean, what about drives, dude? Drives. Or are you gonna ask me a question? Yeah, no, I was gonna ask I was gonna ask you what you what you wanted to talk about next, but you just hit me there. So Yeah, drives, man. The cool part about drives, other game systems do this too, but your character has a reason for you to be involved. So if you're playing Trail of Cthulhu and you have a drive of, you know, I'm an antiquarian, which makes me want to dig into this. I, I have, or in uh, nice, <clears throat> nice black agents, you could be a burned spy and there's a drive that makes you want to, you know, get revenge on something or you want to find out who did something to you. Those drives are key, are key pieces of your character and the mechanics around them also is that if you follow the drives, you get rewards. You can get pool points back. You can get, um, you get things within the system. Um, nice black agents versus trailer Cthulhu, Esoteris and so forth. The drives may do different things, <clears throat> but playing to your drive, not only is a good mechanic for me as a game master or Sean to say, Hey Brett, you know, it, it stops me from turtling. I shouldn't, I can't just sit there and do nothing. 
because uh, boy, I got too much data. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And Sean goes, uh, look at your drive. Your drive is like go getter. Right. Um, why are you sitting on your ass? <laughs> right. Right. Huh. So what are some examples of drives, Brett, that you've run into? Oh, good Lord. Now I got to, I got to call my list up here. Um, the cool part I had with the trailer Cthulhu one, the guys had, um, we started playing it. Usually everybody's like, well, you know, I don't know if I necessarily need a drive. I think I could sort this out. Um, no, it's, you know, I always want to, everybody thinks that they don't need it <laughs> until such time as the shit starts to hit the fan and you're like, oh, wow, I don't know if I really want to go out there and, and get killed. So if you have a drive like adventure, antiquarianism, artistic sensitivity, bad luck, curiosity, duty, follower, scholarship, thirst for knowledge, these are things that you just, you're, you're going to do. Um, you take something as simple as adventure. Nothing gets you going like a promise of action, combat, and strange new experiences. <clears throat> um, let's take another one, a good one here for trail. Um, arrogance. This is an interesting one. <clears throat> My buddy Lenny played this because he was playing a very wealthy dilettante type. Your ultimate success uh, will be its own justification, and it's sure to come to you since you're only you have the will to grasp it. The rules of petty people don't apply to you, and neither do their shrinking uh, timorous fears. Um, it's kind of that if you've read Cthulhu, it's the, the Herbert West type of thing, <clears throat> excuse me, but having these components to it, they're, they make you have to do something as a character. You, you just can't turtle, I guess is the best definition for it when I've explained it to other game masters in the past. So what if you get guys that don't, they don't do anything with it. Is there a- Okay. Well, if they want to suck at their game, I guess. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like one of those hindrances in Savage Worlds you can- Either use it and role play it, or it's you get players that may not follow what it is. Yeah, you can you can get that. I mean, there's always like I say in some of them. Oh shit, I don't have the. I can't find it specifically in front of me. But one of the ways that you get rewarded um, for like sanity loss and getting through things and you know following your drive and so forth is a really good way for me as game master to find ways to reward you, you know, doing that, you know, your, your stability is in, your stability is increased or you, you meet a new contact, you do something. Um, the action, everything, the rewards for the game are going out and doing stuff. There is no reward for sitting on your ass. What? Yeah. Nothing. I want a role playing game where the reward system is sitting on your ass. <laughs> Just sit on your hands. That'll be really fun. Kickstarter. I'm going to kickstart it. Gonna kickstart it. It will. What's the one? It would be cubicles and uh, you know. Oh God! <laughs> one of those. Yeah. Right. Cubicles and house payments or whatever it's we'll call. That's it. right. So we talked a little bit about some of the games and the settings that are out there. There's Esoteris. There's Trail of Cthulhu. Um, Mutant City Blues. That's kind of the superhero uh, version of it. There's Knights Black Agents. Jason Bourne versus Vampires. Ashen Stars is a sci-fi game. And right now, Robin Laws, the guy who uh, came up with the gumshoe system itself, is doing gumshoe one to one. It's in development right now. I saw and that, that would be that would be where Sean and I, you know, one player, one game master. Yeah, that's uh, what's the YouTube video with the uh, one nerdy guy and the other nerdy guy? Oh yeah, well, afraid of girls. Yeah, afraid of girls or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but in um. Which is actually kind of interesting. One of the things that if you read Lovecraft, very few of his stories ever have a group of investigators going out to do anything. It's always one person against whatever it is. There's one protagonist and that's it. Um, the Dunwich Horror is the only one I can think of off the top of my head where you have a, a group of people trying to go take care of the problem. But generally speaking, it's just one person. Yeah, I think that's always been kind of a a weird dynamic when it comes to espionage games when usually James Bond is James Bond, but it's not James Bond and friends. And so, and when he does have a friend like M or somebody else, it's a passing zip, right? Oh, I talked to so-and-so and and then moved on. Right. And so when you try to run an espionage game with a team, especially when you start getting into five or six players, it's really kind of wonky on how that works. Now you can always run it like, I know we're getting off the topic a little bit, but you could always run it like an Ocean's Eleven or something where you've got a group and each one's doing their thing, which I think is 
kind of the basis of Knights Black Agents or even Trail of Cthulhu, but I could see the one-on-one game being kind of interesting. Absolutely. I do. The the cool part about, like I said, for Gumshoe for me, is it's the only system I know offhand that takes investigative RPGs uh, or excuse me, storylines and says, this is this game solves this problem and this is what it does. And all the mechanics are, are based around that. There are splat books for nice black agents called like Double Tap, which have more tricks of the trade, different ways to expand skills and abilities, more guns, <laughs> you know, more gear because yeah. you're talking about spies and stuff and that shit's always cool. But generally speaking, um, the core book is pretty much all you need. Esoteris is a small um, uh, paperback uh, style book. Trail, Mutant City, and Knights Black are all hardcovers. I don't own Ashen Stars, but I assume it's a, it's a larger, heftier book as well. But, you know, you get it, you pretty much are ready to rock and roll. There's not a whole lot of extra stuff you need for it. No. And there's, pl- and there's plenty of support, in my opinion, out on, uh, on Pelgrane. I went to their drive through uh, section and there is a um <clears throat> there was a Knights Black Agents um little quick demo that they wrote up called Access Baggage and it's basically the demo goal your job is to give the players a fast 20 minute experience that feels like it could have been torn from the best James Bond, Jason Bourne or Mission Impossible movies. It's a short PDF, it's free. You know, it's 17 pages long total. It's kind of cool. It's one of those things where I think Grabbing some of grabbing an adventure like that, and each of the uh, Esoteris and Trail and Mutant City and Knights Black have information in them. Hey, here's an example adventure. And one of the key things <clears throat> to me that I guess your initial question of how hard is it to deal with the clues, I was really worried about that at first until I started reading the adventures and I looked at them and kind of went, Oh, they tell you, here's how you build one, and here's one that I built just like that. Oh, shit, that isn't so bad. Right. So there's stuff in the books that you can grab and run with. And unless, <clears throat> excuse me, unless your players have done it, that ex- specific adventure before, it'll be new for everybody. So there's no reason not to run the, the pre-made adventure right in the back of the book. So how's combat work, Brett? Because you got to have <laughs> fights in every role-playing game. Absolutely. Because if you don't, I think that should be, hey, misdirected Mark and the encoded design guys. I think you should make uh, part of the design pieces the fight mechanic. It's always got to be fight. There has to be a fight. Yeah. Well, otherwise, what's the point of playing an RPG? True enough. You got to be able to punch someone in the face. Punch them, stab them, shoot them. Shoot them, light them on fire. Punch them, stab them. Punch them, stab them, shoot them, light them on fire. Punch them, stab them, shoot them, light them on fire. Hey, we got a death metal song in here somewhere. <laughs> uh, combat the way that they do initiative is ba- if you're the aggressor you're you have initiative it's more much more descriptive you don't there's no initiative die roll what um, and the general because most of these games i again i've not played ashen stars but even in mutant city blues if you get shot or you get zapped it hurts and people die and trail of cthulhu much keeping to the call of cthulhu um components of it is that if you get shot you're you're going to die Damage is listed as far as like saying, hey, you're you're wounded, you've got minuses on something, you're in bad shape, worse shape. It's more descriptive. Think kind of your Savage Worlds descriptors of how, you know, how beat up you might be. <clears throat> but generally speaking, though, it's pretty free form. If I'm the one with a gun and I've got the drop on you, you don't really want to try to push my buttons and I end up shooting you because you, you're going to die. Or you're going to end up wishing you hadn't done that because it's going to hurt really, really bad when you get shot. <clears throat> if you're the one, if you're, you know, squaring off with some cultists or something, or you're having a tense conversation where you're trying to do an arms deal um, and say a Knights Black Agents thing. Um, if you think Ronan, the movie, uh, at some point, you know, they're trying to buy hardware and things are getting tense and somebody starts off, somebody sees action and Robert De Niro's character, bang, he shoots. You guys have initiative. You shoot. Who goes first? Who does what? It's a lot, um, a lot more free flowing than, uh, say, a D and D type of game. So that could potentially throw some folks off if they're not used to it. So is it hit points? You do have. <clears throat> let me grab my guy here. You do have health. So let me get my do-do-do-do-do-do. <clears throat> so if you try to shoot somebody or you're going to wound them in any way, you're going to roll scuffling if you're trying to go hand-to-hand. You've got shooting. 
um, whatever that is. And they have a difficulty. They have a defense. Weapons have different modifiers. Your fists or kicks are at a certain modifier. Or heavy guns get other modifiers and so forth. <clears throat> um, if your health pool, um, your health pool is what tells you if you're alive or dead, right? So you have so many points in your health pool. Um, if you if it goes from zero to negative five, you're hurt. You've suffered no permanent injury beyond a few superficial cuts and bruises. However, the pain of your injuries makes it impossible to spend points on investigative abilities. It increases the difficulty number of all tests and such by one. Talks about what first aid could do. Then you can go from negative six to negative 11. Seriously wounded. Got to make consciousness rolls to see if you can stay awake or you pass out. Gets uglier. And if it goes to 12 or under, you're dead. That's it. Activate replacement investigator. You're gone. Kaput. Kaput. <clears throat> Everything around it is, it's still, you've got numbers you're tracking. If you're playing trail or uh, esoterist, you have stability or sanity. You're tracking, you know, hey, how much of this do I have? Do I go, do I go temporarily insane or that type of thing? That's in there. But there's always some narrative component to it that's part and parcel with it. So again, I'm at zero to negative five doesn't mean all I have is a negative one. It says, hey, you're not seriously injured. You can kind of do this. And it gives you some of those guidelines that you can operate within. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm at negative 10. I'm dead. Or, and I can operate all the way up until whatever. Or, you know, I got to make um, healing checks or stabilization checks or whatever. It just, it's a little more, a little more narrative, a little more descriptive. Sounds great and cool. So, so you've not played, Sean. Now have not. You've read it. Did did anything I say here turn you off and go, God, that sounds stupid as hell? No, no, no. So I bought Trail Cthulhu first because Brett was talking about his game one time and he explained the system to me. And I'm like, oh, that really sounds intriguing. And I am not. I am not your average gamer that has played Call of Cthulhu at one point in time. I have never tears me up inside. I've played once. Okay. I've played once. Um, and it was at a local game store and it wasn't that long ago. Honestly, it was, I mean, probably in the last couple of years. So I played one called Cthulhu game at a game store for a game day. Anyways, Brett talked to me about the game system and I'm like, huh, interesting. So I went out and got it. Cause that's what I do when Brett tells me to go and buy something. Is that oh, it's easy. It's easier. I just hit him. If he doesn't go bad, I just punch him. Right. You see, you heard it right there. You heard it, everybody. (laughs) It's on on tape. Um, And I got it and read through it. I think I bought an adventure supplement, too, to kind of read about it and how to run a game. And then uh, Night's Black Agents, which I am not a big vampire guy. So unlike Brett, who's New World of Darkness and vampire for 10 years or whatever it is, I, I never got into vampire stuff. But Night's Black Agents, it kind of mixes that space with the espionage, wet works, and that intrigues me. And if it's vampires that drive the story, okay, that's cool. I get the big vampire uh, conspiracy thing, which is cool. That'll drive things. And so I did get Night's Black Agents, and I haven't played that. So I've purchased those. So nothing you've said has turned me off to the systems, obviously, because I bought them. But... um. They both interest me from two different perspectives because I think just the the settings themselves are interesting. I don't know if I'd ever get the esoteric. Some of that is interesting to me because I've kind of got a conspiracy. It be conspiracies work well in RPGs, I think. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And Mutant City Blues doesn't really appeal to me. Ashen Stars, I've played actually played Ashen Stars. I think I might have played that before it was ever released. Actually, oh, very cool. Yeah, nice. uh, Kevin Culp who yep. actually wrote it, ran a game at Gen Con 2011 and invited me to play. And I played, and I don't think I knew exactly. I didn't, I think at that point I didn't even know I was playing gumshoe. So it was really interesting. Have. Yeah. And I, it was interesting to play. Um, and so having said that, when I played that Ashen stars game, I didn't realize it was kind of a investigative sci-fi. I was just like, Oh, it's a sci-fi game. Ah, but it turns out to be this kind of like weird double cross, who is the person manipulating everything and who killed this other individual? Then it became an investigative game. I didn't cool. go into it with that precursor. Got it. So yes, I, think- I I'm, I want to, so Brett said he's going to run after my star Wars game. He's going to run 
Yeah, I'll do. I'll do something. Will we'll it, pull some gumshoe. What gumshoe? Yeah, I'll do some gumshoe. I think one of the cool parts about um, gumshoe, <laughs> nice <laughs> gumshoe. <clears throat> one of the nice parts about this game is that it's very, it, from a rules perspective, it's not very rules heavy. No, you know, back in, to to do that kind of comparison, you need one six sided die. The die rolling's in the player's hands ninety percent of the time, which is cool. A player focused die rolling is always fun. It, the fate's in your hands. Um, the drives are there to help players and game masters keep the action moving, keep people going, help you to stop the turtling aspects of it. <clears throat> the the investigative abilities, the way that they are used to always get the clues or to keep the clues coming are good. The only components that I have had whenever I've run an investigative game is to when the players have a ton of clues to be able to kind of, when they sit down and go, okay, what do we got? I, as a game master, and I strongly encourage the players to, you know, basically have a whiteboarding session, if you will, in character. Okay, what do you know? I've got this, I got this, I got this. And then it doesn't become, I've not noticed that to break down into the, oh my God, I feel like I'm planning. We've talked about how planning can be boring in misdirected Mark that Chris and Phil have talked about. Jesus Christ, planning drives me bananas. <clears throat> but the cool part with clues, piecing them together, is that to me, an investigative game is part of the fun. Yeah. Of I know all this data. How does it all fit together? And then through my working with my group, and they say, wow, it looks like we need to know more about Lady So and so, Lord Thus and Such. And I gotta go look to the manor. I gotta go back to that manor house because I think I think there's something in the graveyard behind it. Okay, split up team, and off they go. There's always something the way I've the way I've seen it uh, executed anyway, is when the team gets together, they they have their little whiteboard session and then like, okay, clearly I got to go get this, this, and this. Cause I don't know enough about something. And then they look at whoever has the best person with the best skills and they send them off after it and they go get it. Well, and the interesting thing about that as a game master is I, first of all, I like the rules light system cause I've been playing games with some pretty decent rules and that sometimes they get in the way by my own doing or what have you. So uh, uh, that D six roll it, add any put throw any chits you want in there to boost your die roll okay great the other thing is about it when you feed the characters the clues as a game master you could have your end kind of spiel kind of set up and in your mind but honestly if you throw a bunch of clues at the players and they sit down and try to gather it all up and come to some conclusion that isn't necessarily match up with yours as a game master you'd be like hey you're right Good job. Exactly. Wow. You're <laughs> on to me. And they're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. And then everything's like, oh, and they get all excited. If, you took the if I took the <laughs> clues and, you know, you know, Phil, Chris, Kevin, and I came up with something really cool. And Sean's like, fuck, that's better than what I had. I'm yeah. going to go with it. Well, right. Exactly. No reason not to. And that way you don't even have to. You can just go with whatever the players come up with. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good job. Way to go, guys. <laughs> I think one of the other, the, Parts I like, especially about Trail and Knights Black and Mutant City Blues ha ha does a really good job of this, too. In the how you build an adventure, how you build a story with this system, that section of those books to me is is very well done. And uh, I think Knights Black Agents is probably the, the best of the lot at this point with how you do it. And uh, if you read through that component, like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that painful. And the pre-generated adventures that they're that they've come out with, like the Zlozny Quartet, or even shit, the uh, Dracula dossier, which is fucking gigantic. But the stuff that's out there for it is really fun, and it takes it takes a while to get through. And if you play through one or two of those, you're going to figure out how it works, and you're going to be able to uh, sort it out pretty easily, I think. Yes. So should we get into die roll? I think we should. All right. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery you want to share with you. Brett has a few. I've got a few. Brett, as always. I shall go first. You shall go first. And your video is locked up on my <laughs> end, but that's okay. All right. All right, then. So the first one I have is there is on PellgrimPress.com, and I've got a link in here we'll put out in the show notes. There's How to Play Gumshoe. It's a one-pager that's out there. And it's pretty simple. Um, <clears throat> I was actually pulling different bits and pieces of it as I kind of went through this. Kevin Culp put it together. It was out there. It's been out for a little bit. I think it bears uh, looking through. It's a single one-page type of review. Take a look at it and see what you think. 
Um, it's pretty cool. Um, the next one I have is there's the 7th C Kickstarter. If you haven't heard about this in the gaming world, uh, John Wick has 7th C second edition that he's put out there. And I think he's hit some obscene, holy fuck dollar amount, like hundreds of thousands, like craziness. So he's way over the top of what he was expecting. So good for him. We'll see what, uh, <laughs> I have, a, I've decided that to me, Kickstarters are successful when I, when it actually completes, not just when it's funded. So you you may be successfully funded, but the damn thing isn't successful until it hits. So Phil and Chris, like for the part-time Gods of Fate Kickstarter, that son of a bitch is successful. Not only did they get funding, but I got my stuff, right? Uh, the Shine Tower one, successfully funded, and I continue to get my stuff, you know? So to me, that is a successful Kickstarter when the, sh- when the stuff keeps rolling in as promised. So we'll see what happens here. I'm still a little mad at John from another. I know, I know. So I'll I'll call him out. You want? I've called him out before. I mean, on people's threads. I don't know. I just. I already talked about it. Just make me cranky. (laughs) I just hope. I just hope that it actually delivers everything. Because sometimes when you start seeing people like, oh, more stretch goals, more stretch goals, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if you guys all have the horsepower to get this done. So we talked about that. Shit freaks me out. So we talked about this on a number of occasions, and. You know, the one thing we talked about last episode was the um, Apocalypse World Kickstarter by Vincent Baker. And it's literally like, and even just, uh, I mean, there was a few others like, um, oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll forego those. But anyways, Apocalypse World, it's already been done. It's a second edition. So he's probably making a couple updates, probably putting in some errata. Yep. You know, and there's no levels. It's like you get the PDF or you get the print and the PDF. Well, that's you know, why I brought up the, the Black Hack Kickstarter. I, I threw up the uh, show or two right. ago, Black Hack. Very simple. It was like, boom, boom, boom. This was it. That's one of the reasons I love Phil and Chris's uh, Kickstarter, too. It was like, look, we want this much money. This shit's already done. I already have all this. Bam, bam, bam. Done. Now, I have, too, gotten burned somewhat through throwing big bucks at a Kickstarter and they kept piling on more, more things, right? And stretch, stretch goals, which I, th- I think is great. I, th- I see the point in it, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I don't, if I get the game for 30, 40, 50 bucks, hey, super. If I have to have dice and this and that, and I mean, the Fate Kickstarter was definitely generous. Bones is a big one. I don't know. I, I kind of torn. I guess it works if you get the money that the, the person needs to produce everything they do and deliver what they need. I think if you're, it's the deliver what they need perspective, right? right. If they can, when you have stretch goals and I worry when I see some stretch goals, my concern is like, I think you're, I think you're biting off more than you can chew. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can deliver this stuff because if nothing else, nothing else, unless you have a massive creative team, one man, woman, or child will hit creator burnout and they're going to have a hard time fulfilling everything. Just going to be really, really hard. Yeah. I agree. So we'll see. It's good. Good for yeah. good for them. I if hope. nothing else, the fact that 7C is getting great press and it's doing really good things, that's awesome. People are excited and they really want it to work. So this is cool. We'll just, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's crazy. I, I never played 7C. It doesn't really appeal to me. I don't know much about it. And that's why it doesn't appeal to me because I don't know much about 7C. I wasn't, I didn't play it. I didn't, I don't know much about the system. Um, and if it comes out great and if I go and it, the hype is still awesome and it's really a great, I shouldn't say hype, but if it's a really great game and I find it in my local game store or whatever, and I pick it up and everybody's playing it, then great. I mean, I never got on Numenera and some people are playing it. Some people aren't, I don't know. Yep. Well, I mean, if you look at like from just a funding success, he's got 28 days left to go as of today, the 14th, he wanted 30 grand. He's got 557 thousand nine hundred nineteen dollars yeah that's crazy so it's a it's half a million dollars a lot of fucking money it is a lot of money now a lot of people got to realize that a lot of that money is gonna go towards production because you're gonna have to pay out to produce all that i just can't imagine having like you know a half million dollars plus of inventory sitting in your basement or however you're gonna fulfill it the other thing is that and this is just my my corporate head is that unless a team of people has somebody there, or a group of people who are used to dealing with that scale of cash and management of it, that can be very difficult to ensure that things work well. Now, again, I don't know what John's got cooking as far as the team and helping him out, how he's got this thing let out. 
my hope is that Mr. Wick did all the research he needs to do and that if it's going fucking gangbusters, he's taking a serious critical look at his team and saying, do I have the right men and women here to help me manage effectively an over half million dollar event? That's a lot. Yeah, if you're not used to doing it, it's difficult. Yeah. Well. All right. I love, anyway, enough I, about I that. definitely I've never run a Kickstarter. I haven't been in the game design or development uh, arena. And so I can only assume that they, and John's done stuff before. So that's, you know, he's got more experience than I do. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the other thing, right, is like, I had a bad experience, right? So I, I've already talked about that. As long as he learned from it and doesn't do that again, good. That's, yeah. that's all, uh, that's all you can hope for. Right. All right. Next. Kill, killed it, that horse. Beat that I sucker totally down. beat that sucker to death. Um, the board game inventors kit. There is uh boing boing. He's got a little, uh thing out there think up and create your own board game little what? inventors kit um so i put a there'll be a link in the show notes just kind of saw it and i thought boy that's kind of cute <laughs> i figured i'd throw that out there if nothing else the fact that such things are hitting means that gaming and board games in general i mean it's getting more popular more people have ideas more people want to do stuff i take those things some people may say oh that's kitschy and stupid or whatever but i'm like yeah that's kind of cool people want to roll their own i have more power to them man Roll their own. Exactly. All right. Sean, over to you, sir. Gumshoe Pathfinder. So the sneeze uh, over at Misdirected Mark, actually, this was after our investigation piece, and we were talking about, you know, Pathfinder games versus Gumshoe and how some of that, you know, Pathfinder may not facilitate investigative games like Gumshoe does. And so he said there is one. It's called Lorefinder. It's a supplement out there. I did not know about that, so I appreciate. I should have. I should have known. I, I own it. I should have brought it. up. You actually own it? Me. Yeah, I own it. Oh well. So, anyways, Chris had pointed that out for misdirected Mark, and so we'll link in the show notes if you wanted to run Gumshoe kind of investigative in a Pathfinder set, uh, system and setting. I actually took it and I hacked it to use with Osric of all things. It's really easy to do. Yeah. It's nice. It's if you want, if you can, it's a D20 game um, way to add gumshoe stuff to a D20 game. So if you can do it to Pathfinder, you can do it to 5e, most likely, or any other thing. So it's it's pretty cool. Of course, how, what else would we, how bad would we be if we did not link to Trail of Cthulhu on Pelgrim Press? Um, it, you know, I went to Pelgrim Press's site, I actually Googled gumshoe system. Mm-hmm. And it takes you to a uh, page on their site that does not exist anymore. Huh. Interesting. So they don't have it based on gumshoe system. They have their site based on the different um, properties like Esoteris, um, Trail Cthulhu, mm-hmm. Night's Black Agents. So anyways, we'll have a link in the show notes, the Trail of Cthulhu um, in, in whatever, in that stuff. And the gumshoe products on drive through. So, if you're interested in getting PDFs, they do have them in PDF. If you do go through drive through and grab them, use the link in the show notes with our affiliate code. We will get a smidgen of a credit through drive through. So, you get your product and you help out the show. So, we'll have a link in the show notes for that. Very cool. Next one, stand stand. So, I posted this on Google. I saw this on Twitter because somebody, I have a couple contacts on Twitter. One was asking the other about this elevated desk um, that they got, and they this this company sponsored a computer meetup a user group, and so I'm like, oh, I'll have to check that out, and I clicked on it, and basically what it is is, I think they had a Kickstarter was successful. It's designed. There's a partnership between an individual from like Massachusetts, and then they're manufactured in northern Wisconsin, so it's this like three piece wooden. Um, cut out where you assemble them and then you put them on a lower sitting desk so that you can turn your laptop into a a standing desk. So it's really kind of small. It's like a, I don't know, foot, foot and a half. It's a port. It's a portable lectern. Yeah. Great. Yes. Yeah. So I reached out to this, this company, I reached out to this company and I posted on Google plus and thought, as a standing GM, this thing would be awesome to just carry around because it's supposed to be light, breaks down into three pieces, like three boards. 
Yeah, and if you've gamed with me, if it, if I'm not gaming online, if I'm in person, I'm standing. I stand through right. the entire thing. I don't. I rarely sit. And I do the same at cons. And I, if I were at a table um, running a game, I would typically do it if if I had room. So these, I I wrote the, I, I got that on their contact list, and I said I think you guys are missing out on a market here because I'm a gamer, and a lot of us game masters like to do stand up and game and bending over to read books is kind of a pain in the butt and all this stuff. And we could just put the book on your stand and we could carry them around. It's light. And he's like, awesome. That's cool. Hey, do you, you know, can I send you a demo? I'm like, sure. Hell so yeah. I'm getting a free demo, um, oh, which, which I will pay for, you know, and if I, I'll probably keep it and I'll pay for it. Um, I got Alex from game hole. He bought one. Cause I cool. sent it over to him cause he's looking at like sponsoring. He's like, is there like events that I can sponsor? And I'm like, well, there's Gary Con and game hole con Gary Con doesn't take sponsors. Game hole does. He has, you know, so they're going to probably, you know, kick in and I don't know. So maybe we'll have a couple of these demo things that we can just kind of carry around and take to Gary. I'll have one for Gary con, but I'm not running any games, but God, that'd be awesome. Stan, Stan, I don't know. Check it out. So even if you're like a computer um, programmer or something and you want just a uh, mobile standing desk, improvised standing desk, it's pretty awesome. Neat. Yeah. So uh, D&D 5e encounter sheet from Crit Games. Um, they also have a player tracker. So a couple D&D 5e resources at that um, link in the show notes. Um, so the D&D 5e encounter sheet is kind of like a block going down the sheet um, for putting in your monsters and stats. So you can just have them there if you don't have them in PDF or if you just want a quick reference sheet. There's also the player tracker, which is probably pretty nice to have. So to, you can put in your players, armor class, hit points, all that stuff. So that as a DM, you can just write that stuff in. I thought they looked pretty handy. So I'll link in the show notes to Crick Games. Otherwise, I think that's it, man. Cool. Anyways, so this show, let us know if you're interested in Gumshoe. Uh, if you've been playing Gumshoe, let us know. Right, gaming if MBS. I mean, I'm I'm positive that Sean and I glossed over something. Oh, or yeah. I went around in a stupid Brett circle, and somebody's like, "What the fuck did you mean?" So hit us with questions, whatever. I'll be happy to look up, you know, look up something, clarify, I talk about something in more in depth or, um, you know, do some more research for you. So, I mean, I really like the system. It's my favorite. It's my go-to for investigative games at this point. I, I prefer to play Trail versus Call when I play Cthulhu. So, All right. So this show brought to you by patrons like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School <coughs> DM, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Aguirre, Misdirected Mark, Brett's Biggest Fan, and Mark Anthony Benedetti and Tony Baker. So consider supporting the show at gamingmbs.com forward slash Patreon. Otherwise, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all. Next week, stay tuned. We're going to be talking oh, about right. monster versus non-monsters villains. Peace out. Yeah. See ya. <laughs>